So each night I like to read a little bit from the full translation, which is, it basically looks like this. It's an old, very old book. And then I read the, uh, because it it's too slow to read all of this. It's like 17 volumes. And so <clears throat> uh, I like to read a little bit. So then I go to the, to the condensed version and we, we get uh, get farther along the story. So I wanted to say a couple of things. Um, this story culminates in a huge battle, and this was this happened basically about a, more than five thousand years ago, between five and six thousand years ago, when this this battle and really all the events in this story took place. It was about five thousand five hundred approximately years ago. And this battle that took place at the end, um, there was almost 4 million soldiers that participated in this battle. They had like a, they have a thing called Akshuhini. Akshuhini was like a battalion of soldiers, okay? And each Akshuhini consisted of 22,000 chariots, men on chariots with bows, 22,000 elephants, uh, 65,000 soldiers on horseback, and 110,000 infantry. So that was one Akshuhini. And there were 18 Akshuhinis that took place in this battle. And at the end of the battle, only eight remained. <laughs> so... When you consider that, this battle, more soldiers were killed in this battle than were killed in World War, World War II. Now, it's not more people were killed because uh, back in this day, battles like this never involved civilians. Civilians were never killed, were never killed in any battle between any two rival, rivalry, rival factions. It was only the soldiers that took place in the battle, took took uh, a place in the battle. So, but as far as soldiers go, more soldiers were killed in this battle than in any uh, than any war that we've ever had since then. So it was a big deal, and I think you know I I don't know what the population of the Earth was back then, but I think pretty much almost every man on the planet took took place in this uh, in this war that took place so um last last time we talked about i told the story of how um drona who is a brahmin and he uh he learned all of he learned how to be a great warrior and he also got um a gift from a a great sage uh, of all of his weapons. And, and that included what's called these divine ostras. And I don't know exactly how many ostras there were. I think, I'm just guessing, I think it was somewhere around 10 to 20 different ostras. And an ostra was an incantation, like a, a mantra that you would chant as you were releasing an arrow, and it would cause all different kinds of things like put everybody on the other side asleep for a period of time or cause weapons to fall down from the sky. 
And there was one in particular called the Brahma weapon or the Brahma Sira, which was just like, I had, I mean, they kind of describe it, but it was kind of like an atomic bomb that would go off. And, and it was so, um, it was so powerful that uh, the people that learned it were told never to use it on just ordinary people because it could destroy the entire earth. So they all, it, I don't even know if it ever got used, um, that particular weapon, uh, during this whole story time. But it was up there, and Drona, Drona got this from, from this guy, and he taught that to Arjuna. Arjuna knew it. And Karna also knew it. He learned it from a different person. He learned it from, and we're going to talk about, we're going to read that story uh, here soon. But Drona had a childhood friend, we talked about this last time, uh, named Drupada, who's, who was destined to be a king. And they were really good buddies, even though the uh, uh, Drupada was a, a warrior class and Drona was a priestly class. They still were really good friends. And, and Drupada said things like, you know, when I become king, I'm going to give you half of my kingdom and all this. Well, Drona was very poor. And he went to, he, when he when they grew up, they, they had, hadn't seen each other in a while. But he his children were, were complaining about not having enough food to eat. So he went to Drupada and said, hey, remember me? I'm your best friend. And you promised to share your wealth with me. And then... Basically, Drupada just insulted him and said, "You know, you're a lowborn. Why would I all? Why would I have a friend of a lowborn? Blah blah blah." And it really, really hurt um, Drona's feelings. So Drona then um, uh, he 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 went away. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna start the story. I'm gonna start a little part of the story right now uh, of what happened after he went away. So Drona, gifted with great intelligence, was extremely mortified at this and settling in his mind some means of humiliating the king of the Panchala. He went to the capital of the Kurus, where he was teaching, then Bhishma, uh, taking with him and his, his grandsons, presented them onto the wise son, Drona, of Bharadwaja, as his pupils. So we all knew this, like he became the teacher of all the Pandavas, of all the princes, the the, the Karavas too, because they were all part of the same kingdom at this point. So he finally had a good job and he was paid well and he was given uh, his rightful uh, uh, respect and everything. Okay. So Drona then, desiring of humiliating the king Drupada, called together all of his students and addressed them. Ye sinless ones, it behooveth thee, after you have been accomplished in arms, to give me, as preceptorial fee, something that I cherish in my heart. So it was always customary, and I, we talked about this before, too. It was always customary that when you had a teacher, that you would give them a, a gift at the end of your training. So Arjuna and the others then said unto Drona, so be it. After a time when the Pandavas became skilled in arms and sure of our, sure aims, demanding them his fee, he again told them this words, Drupada, the son of Prishata, is the king of Chatravati. Take away from him his kingdom and give it to, unto me. 
So this is what he's asking. He's asking his students to go defeat Drupada and give him his kingdom. Then the Pandavas, defeating Drupada in battle and taking him prisoner along with, with his ministers, offered him unto Drona, who, beholding the vanquished monarch, said, O king, I again solicit thy friendship. And because none who is not a king deserveth to be a friend of the king, therefore I am resolved to divide thy kingdom among ourselves. While thou art the, while thou art the king of the country to the south of the ba Bhagirati River, I will rule the country to the north. The Brahmana continued, the king of the Panchalas thus addressed by the wise son of Bharadwaja, that's Drona, he was the son of Bharadwaja, told that best of Brahmana. So here, here, here now, um, uh, this is what the king said back to him. O high-souled son of Bharadwaja, blessed be thou. Let it be so. <clears throat> Let there be <clears throat> eternal friendship between us as thou desires. <clears throat> Thus addressing each other and establishing a permanent bond between themselves, Drona and the king of the Panchalas, both of them chastiser of foes, went away to the places where they came from. But the thought of that humiliation did not leave uh, the Drupada's mind for a single moment. Sad at heart, the king began to waste away. Now, one of the characteristics of a kshatriya, a warrior versus there's several differences between a, a warrior class person and a brahmana. So Drona is a brahmana, and Panda and Panchala Drupada is a warrior class. Well, one of those is that you know Brahma brahmanas have a very quick temper, but once they've expressed it, they let go of it. And and they and they they can just let it go, and then they can be your friend afterwards, you know, immediately. But warriors do not; they hold a grudge. They hold a grudge, and this is what happened with Drupada. King Drupada, after this, distressed at heart, wandered among the many asylums of brahmanas in search of a superior brahmanas, well skilled in sacrificial rites. Overwhelmed with grief and e eagerly yearning for children, the king always said, Oh, I have no offspring, surpassing all in accomplishments. And the monarch, from great despondency, always said, Oh, fie on those children that I have and on my relatives. And ever thinking of re revenging himself on Drona, the monarch sighed incessantly. And that best of kings, O Bharata, even much after much deliberation, saw no way of overcoming by his kshatriya might the prowess and discipline and training and accomplishment of Drona. I mean, Drona was like, he's one of the guys that was one of the best warriors on the earth. Wandering among the banks of the Yamuna River and the Ganga, the monarch once came upon a sacred asylum of Brahmanas. There was in that asylum no Brahmana who was not a snataka no one who was not of rigid vows and none who was not virtuous to a high degree. And the king saw there two, two brahmanas named Yaja and Upayaja, both of rigid vows and souls under complete control and belonging to the most superior order. They were both devoted to the study of the ancient institutes and sprung from the race of Kashyapa, and those best of brahmanas were well able to help the king in the attainment of his object. 
So he wants revenge on Drupada, and he and he he wants a child that can defeat Drupada. The king then, with great assidu assiduity and singleness of purpose, began to court this pair of excellent brahmanas. Ascertaining the superior accomplishments of the younger of the two, the king courted in private Upayaja of rigid vows by the offering of everything desirable. Employed in paying homage to the feet of Upayaja, always addressing in sweet words and offering him every object of human desire, Drupada, after worshiping that Brahmana, addressed him one day, saying, O Upayaja, O Brahmana, if thou performest, if thou performest those sacrificial rites, by virtue of which I may obtain a son who may slay Drona, I promise thee ten thousand cattle, or whatever else may be agreeable to thee. O first of Brahmanas, truly I am ready to make gifts to thee. Thus addressed by the king, the rishi said, replied, saying, I cannot perform such rites. But Duprada, Duprada, without accepting this reply as final, once more began to serve and pay homage to the Brahmana. Then after a year had passed, Upayaja, the first of Brahmanas, addressed Drona in sweet words and said, My elder brother Yaja, one day, while wandering through the deep woods, took up a fruit that had fallen upon a spot, the purity of which he cared not to inquire about. I was following him at the time, and I observed this unworthy act of him. So for a, for a Brahmana to eat a fruit that was spoiled or somehow impure was a sin for them. So he said, indeed, he entertains no scruples in accepting things impure. In accepting that particular fruit, he saw not any impropriety of a sinful nature. Indeed, he who observeth not purity in one instance is not very likely to observe it in other instances. When he lived in the house of his preceptor, employed in the studying of the institutes, he always used to eat impure remnants of other people's feasts. He always he always speaks approvingly of food and entertains no dislike for anything. Arguing from these, I believe that my brother covets earthly acquisitions. Therefore, O king, go unto him. He will perform the spiritual offices for thee. Hearing these words of Upayaja, King Drupada, though entertaining a low opinion of Yaja, nevertheless went to his abode. Worshipping Yaja, who was still worthy of homage, Drupada said unto him, O master, perform thou spiritual offices for me, and I will give thee eighty, I will, will give thee eighty thousand cattle. Enmity with Drona burneth my heart. It behooveth thee to cool that heart of mine. For most of those conversant with the Vedas, Drona is also skilled in the Brahma weapon, and for this Drona has, hath overcome me in contest arising from our impaired friendship. Gifted with great intelligence, the son of Bharadraja, this is Drona he's talking about, that chief preceptor of the Kurus, there is no Kshatriya in the world superior to him. His bow is a full six cubits long. He had a bow that was 10 feet long. <laughs> Think about that. These men actually were bigger than men today. They were they were much they were a couple of feet taller than than the we are nowadays. Um, his bow is a six 
is a full 10 feet long and looks formidable and his arrows are capable of slaying every living being. That great bowman, the high-souled son of Bharadwaja, habited as a Brahmin, is destroying the Kshatriya power all over the earth. Indeed, he is like a second uh, Jamadagnya intended for the extermination of the Kshatriya race. There is no man on earth who can overcome the terrible force of his weapons." Like a blazing fire fed with clarified butter, Drona, possessed of Brahma might and uniting it with Kshatriya might, consumeth every antagonist in battle. But thy Brahmana force is greater than, in itself than Drona's Brahmana force, united with the Kshatriya might. Therefore, I am as I am inferior to Drona in consequence of my possession of being a Kshatriya might alone, I solicit the, solicit the aid of thy Brahma force, having obtained thee so superior to Drona in knowledge of Brahma. O Yaja, perform that sacrifice for me by means of which I may obtain a son invincible in battle and capable of slaying Drona. Ready am I to give you 80,000 cattle. <laughs> Hearing these words of Drupada, Yaja said, so be it. Yaja then began to re recollect the various ceremonies, uh, re recollect the various ceremonies appertaining to this particular sacrifice. And knowing the affair to be very a very grave one, he asked the assistance of his brother, who coveted nothing. Then Yaja promised to perform the sacrifice to the destruct for the destruction of Drona. So see, this was a, a sign of the uh, coming of the age of Kali, that high-born souls like Upa, like ya, Upa Yaja, um, Ayaja, I mean, who, you know, were they were susceptible to desires and, and things of that nature. So you find that happening uh, in a lot of the stories here. Um then Yaja performed, promised to perform the sacrifice for the destruction of Drona. Then the great ascetic Upajaja spoke unto Drupada everything required for the great sacrifice. So he had to go obtain all these things. And he said, O king, a, shall, a child shall be born unto thee, endued as thou desirest, with great prowess, great energy, and great strength. The, the king... Drupada then, impelled by the desire of obtaining a son who was to slay Drona, began for the success of his wish to make the necessary preparations. And when everything was complete, Yaja, after having poured libations of clarified butter on the sacrificial fire, commanded Drupada's queen, saying, Come hither, O queen, O daughter-in-law of Prishta, a son and daughter has arrived for thee. Hearing this, the queen said, O Brahmana, my mouth is yet filled with saffron and other perfumed things. My body also beareth many sweet scents. I am hardly fit for accepting the sanctified butter, which is to give me offspring. Wait for me a little, O Yaja. Wait for this, for that happy consummation. Yaja, however, replied, O lady, whether thou comest or waitest, while should, why should not the object of this sacrifice be accomplished when the oblations have already been prepared by thee, by me, and sanctified by Upayaja's invocations? The, having said this, Yaja poured the sanctified libation onto the fire, whereupon arose from those flames a child resembling a celestial who, possessing the effulgence of fire, was terrible to behold. With a crown on his head and his body encased in excellent armor, sword in hand, bearing a bow and arrows, he frequently set he sent forth loud roars. So a, a child just came out of the fire, fully grown, 
okay? The, 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 the wife of the king didn't have to give birth. The child just appeared, and it was already fully grown and holding weapons in his hand. <clears throat> and immediately after his birth, he ascended, he ascended an excellent chariot and went about, about in it for some time. Then the Panchalas, all the people of uh, of his of the Drupada's kingdom, <clears throat> in great joy shouted, "Excellent, excellent!" The very earth seemed to be at that time unable to bear the weight of the Panchalas that were so mad with joy. Then, marvelous to say, the voice of some invisible spirit in the sky said, "This prince hath been born for the destruction of Drona." He shall dispel all the fears of the Panchalas and spread their fame. He shall also remove the sorrow of the king. And there arose from after this, from the center of the sacrificial platform, a daughter also called Panchali, who blessed with great good fortune, with with was was exceedingly handsome. Her eyes were black and large as lotus pe petals. Her complexion was dark and her locks were blue and curly. Her nails were blue, beautifully convex and bright as burnished copper. Burnished copper. Her eyes, her eyebrows were fair. Her bosom was deep. She indeed, indeed she resembled the veritable daughter of a celestial born among men. Her body gave out a fragrance like that of a blue lotus, perceivable from the distance of a two full of two full miles. Her beauty was such that she had no equal on earth. So Drupada's daughter that came out of this sacrificial fire, um, she was the most beautiful woman on the entire planet. Like a celestial herself, she could be desired in marriage by a celestial, a Dhanava, or a Yaksha. Yaksha. When this girl of fair hips was born, an incorporeal voice said, this dark complexioned girl will be the first of all women, and she will be the cause of the destruction of many of the Kshatriyas. This slender-waisted one will, in time, accomplish the purpose of the gods, along with her, many, with her, many a danger will overtake the Karavas. So a voice from heaven is forecasting that she's going to play a role in the destruction of all these warriors in the great battle. And especially the Karavas, who are the kind of the bad guys in this in this uh, in this whole story. This slender, wasted one will, in time, accomplish the purpose of the gods, along with her. With her, many a danger will overtake the Karavas. On hearing these words, the Panchalas uttered a loud leonine roar, a lion roar, and the earth was unable to bear the weight of this joyous concourse. Then, beholding the boy and girl, the daughter-in-law of Prishta. Desiring to have them approached Yaja and said, Let not these know, let let not these know anyone ex else except myself as their mother. Yaja, desiring to do good unto the king, said, So be it. Then the Brahmana present there, their present there, their expectations fully gratified, bestowed names upon the, new, the, the newborn pair. Let the son of Drupada, they, they said, be called Drista Jumna because of his excessive uh, audacity and because of his being born like like a dumna with a natural male and weapon so he he was born with male on his on his body and they also said because of this because this daughter is so dark in complexion in complexion she should be called krishna the dark 
but she was also called Draupadi, and that's the name she became to be, she came to be known as later. The Brahmana continued, thus were born these these two these twins of the great sacrifice of Drupada, and the great Drona, bringing the Panchala prince into his own abode, taught him all the weapons. So Drona took the son that's going to be destined to kill him and taught him all the arts of, of warfare. The, the high-souled son of Bharadwaja, regarding his destiny to be inevitable, did what would perpetuate his own great deeds. So that was the, that was like the, this is the way things were done. I mean, if you had, if you had a high um, commitment to high morality, you followed your, your, your dharma, even though you knew that this son was going to kill you, you're going to still teach him weapons because you can't fight fate, you know? Okay. So that's that. That is like our little section here out of um, the the main book. And now we're going to move on and progress in our story. And we're going to hear about Karna, also known as Radea, who is, which is my son's name, my boy, five-year-old. <laughs> Mother, would you tell me something, said Radeya to his mother, Radha. She was the wife of the charioteer Atiratha. Radeya was their son. It was his birthday. Today, he was 16 years old. He and his, he said, Mother, it is my birthday. Father has bought me a, bought me a new chariot and new horses. He says, I'm old enough now to drive a chariot. But mother, I do not want to drive a chariot. My hands are eager to hold a bow and arrow. I cannot think of anything else. Waking or sleeping, my thoughts are ever fixed on this desire. I want to fight. I want to become an archer. Why, mother, should this unnatural desire find a place in my heart? Now, Karna was the first um, born by, by the sun god, okay? And he was actually a kshatriya by birth, but nobody knew that because they found him on the river and they picked him up out of the river, this charioteer and his wife, and they were of the sutra class. They called it the sutra putra. Tears sprang into the eyes of Radha, his mother. She sat silent. Her tears flowed out on. Radha was shocked to see her tears. He put his arms around her and said, Mother, have I wounded you? I love you more than my life. If anything I said has hurt you, I am sorry. I would rather kill myself than cause you so much pain. Tell me, mother, why are you crying? Without answering his question, she said, yesterday you were talking in your sleep. You said, do not go before you answer my question. Who are you? Why do you haunt me like this? My son, what is this dream that you keep having? Radeya was silent for a few months, moments. He said then, mother, very often my sleep is disturbed by a dream. It is always the same dream. I see a woman. She is dressed in costly robes. They are, think they are, I think, the raiments of a princess. Her face is hidden by a veil. I am lying down and she bends over me. Hot tears from her eyes burn me. I get up and ask her, who are you? But mother, this woman in my dream vanishes like a startled ghost. Mother, tell me, why does this happen to me? Why is it that I, that I do not want to be just a charioteer? There must be some explanation for this. Radha drew him nearer to her. She placed him on her lap. 
holding him close as if she was afraid to lose him. She said, my son, the time has come when I should tell you a story. It happened 16 years ago. It was a beautiful morning. Early in the morning, your father had gone to the banks of the Ganga to offer morning prayers to the sun. His eyes were dazzled by something, something shiny floating in the river. He was intrigued. It looked as though some shining jewel was floating down the river. After a time, the object came nearer. Your father's curiosity was aroused. He swam across to the heart of the river to find out what the gleaming object was. He first saw a wooden box. It was wrought beautifully. He went nearer the box and looked inside. He saw a sight which struck him dumb. Inside the box, there was a beautiful child. It was the most beautiful child he had ever seen. It was sleeping peacefully. Ganga put him to sleep, perhaps, with a lullaby when his mother would not sing to him. So thought your father. With the box in his hand, he swam ashore. He rushed home. Radha, Radha, look, I have brought you something. I have a gift for you, shouted your father. I ran out to see what made him so excited. I could not believe my eyes when I saw the child in his arms. Why, I said, this child is as beautiful as the morning sun. It is glowing. Look at the Kavacha and Kundala. It is a child belonging to some god, and it was indeed the son of the sun. And he was born with a natural armor in his skin and these pair of earrings. And these two made him completely invincible. Nobody could kill him in battle with those on. They, they would protect him from, from, de from death. Radeya sat up abruptly. He did not dare, he dared not breathe. So terrible, so want, so full of wonder was his story. Raja held him closer as if to say, in a few moments you will leave me. Till then, let me hold you tight. The story went on. Surely, I said, surely this child is not earthly. It must belong to, to some God. No earthly child can have this beauty. Your father smiled at me. He said, perhaps it is a child born of the heavens, which God has sent down to you because you are childless. I feel that he has been created for your sake. I am sure he is meant for you, just you. I am going to call him Radea, since he will be your dear beloved son. We were thrilled at the thought of a child. See, they had been praying for a son for a long time, this couple, and she could not have a child. So they, they were praying and it just and and then it happened. We were thrilled at the thought of a child in the house. I was very happy. I looked at the box. It was no ordinary box. You had been placed in it, wrapped in a piece of silk, costly silk, the kind of silk that only a princess would use. But there was no use speculating. We could only guess that you were the son of some high-born maiden, perhaps a princess who had thought fit to abandon you for reasons unknown only to herself. We now had a son to brighten our home. That's all that mattered. Since you were born with a kavacha and kundala, we also named you Vasushena. But your father always has always called you, called you Radea. Most probably, your father, most probably you belong to a palace. You have been living all these years as a son of a poor charioteer. All the wealth we could give you was the wealth of our love. It is because of your birth that you do not want to be a charioteer. You want to learn archery because you are a kshatriya. I am almost sure that you are a kshatriya. With sobs rack, racking her body, Radha said, Go, my son. You are not really my son. Go out into the world and search for your mother. When you find her, the void in your life will be filled up, 
As for me, I am grateful to God for giving me a son all these years. The memory of these few years will has kept me alive, will keep me alive in the years to come. Radea bathed her form with his tears. He said, Mother, what are you saying? Do you want to abandon me as your mother, as my mother, other mother did? I do not know who she is. I do not want to know. I have a mother, the sweetest and dearest of all mothers. You gave me life. You are my mother. I may be a Kshatriya. Most probably I am, but I do not care. I do not want to be anything else. I want to be just your son. My name is Radea, and Radea I will be till the end of my life. That will be the name <clears throat> by which the world will call me. I am not ashamed of my parents. I am proud to be the son of a Sutta. I am Radea, the Sutta Putra. Mother, in this world, there is nothing like learning. Learning cares not for caste or creed. I will go in quest of learning. A learned man will find recognition wherever he goes. The thirst for knowledge, for proficiency in archery is burning my frame. I will go and acquire knowledge. I will go now. But remember, mother, I'm coming back to you. You are my mother and nothing, nothing can take you away from me or me from you. Radea embraced his mother and she held him close. Their tears flowed and mingled incessantly. So Radea was the son of the sun and sun is, is the Lord of the sign of Leo, uh, as some of you may know. So Radea was the, the, was, the, was the essence of the best and the worst of Leo. Uh, and one of the qualities of Leo is loyalty. And Radea had loyalty to the nth degree um, and it was kind of a blind loyalty, as we will find out later. Radea's aim was knowledge. He wanted to learn archery. He heard that Hastinapura was famous throughout the world for archers who had been receiving instruction from the great Drona. Radea went to the city. He was able to find Drona all by himself. He saluted him. Then he said, my lord, I want you to accept me as your pupil. I want to learn archery from you. Drona wanted to know who he was. Radea said, I am the son of Atirata. I am Radea the Sutta Putra. Drona did not relish the idea of teaching archery to the son of a Sutta. He said, you are a Sutta Putra. I will not teach archery to a lowborn people. Radea then went back. He wended his way homeward, haunted by the name Sutta Putra, a stigma which clung to his name to the very end of his pain-filled life. He spent days and nights thinking out a way to acquire mastery in archery. He found that his being a Sutra Putra was a great barrier everywhere. He became a little bit desperate. At last, he decided to go to the great Bhagavan Bhargava. Now, Bhargava is the guy that killed all the warriors on the whole earth, like 20 sometimes. So he was he was bad. He was badass, uh, you know. But he was a Brahmin, and he was known to have a very quick temper. This man was a hater of Kshatriyas. Radeya knew about this terrible anger of the Rishi, he was, but he was in a dilemma. He argued to himself that since a Sutta is one born to a Kshatriya and a Brahmin, he could say that he was a Brahmin. If he said that he was a Brahmin, he would certainly be accepted by this great man as his pupil. He made up his mind. Radeya reached the ashram of the great Bhargava. With, hopes, with hope burning in his heart, like a torch, he entered the ashram of Bhargava. With his matted locks and burning eyes, Bhargava was a terrible, uh, great man, was a terrible personality. Radeya was overawed by him. He fell at the feet of the great man with reverence and said, I have come to you with the hope and 
and longing. Please do not send me back empty-handed. The sage was lifted him up. Radea's eyes were full of tears. His frame was trembling, trembling with fear and straight ex and a strange exhilaration. Bhargava was pleased with the young man and his humility. Radea told him that he was a Brahmin and he wanted to learn archery. Bhargava smiled at him gently and said, I will certainly teach you all that I know. I will do it willingly. Radea's education began. He spent many happy months and years in the ashram of Bhargava. He was able to forget the incessant pain that was gnawing at his heart. He forgot the insults that had been heaped upon him because he was a Sutta Putra. He forgot the unknown woman of his dreams, the mystery attached to his birth. The dreams were less frequent now. Radea was bent on only one thing, knowledge. Knowledge meant power. It meant fame. It meant recognition. It was the only thing worth worthwhile in the world of men, at least according to him. Fate thought that the time of peace and contentment that Radea was enjoying should be brought to an end. Fate is indeed a willful woman. And we're talking about karma here. So there was a karma that 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 Karna brought with him from a past life. We're not going to go into that story right now, but it, but this is part of this. This is part of that karma unfolding. And we're, we're she's calling it fate here. Fate can laugh only when her victims weep. She is happy only when she sees someone hurt by her terrible hand. It was so in the case of Radea. His education was now complete. Bhagavan Bhargava had taught him had taught him all the astras, even the Brahmastra, the, the and the powerful Bhargava astra. It was nearing the time of the departure of Radea. Bhargava was giving him this final piece of advice. He said. I have been very happy all these days. It was a pleasure to teach you archery. I have given you all the wealth of the knowledge that I had. I am proud to have had you as my disciple. You are very honest, fond of those who are elder to you, always eager to, uh, eager to walk in the path of righteousness. You must use the knowledge that you've acquired in upholding Dharma. You must never use it in an unrighteous cause. The sun had now reached the high heavens, and the heat was unbearable. The great Bhargava wanted to rest under the shade of a tree. He said, go to the ashram and bring me a roll of deerskin for a pillow. I feel I am feeling tired. I would like to rest a while under this tree. My lord said, Radeya, I am here. I will sit down, and you can use my lap as your pillow. Can I not do this small service to my to the greatest of men? Bhargava was, was pleased with this devotion. So under the tree they rested, Radeya with his guru's precious head on his lap. His mind was wandering through the maze of words which his guru had spoken. His guru had called him an honest man. But was he honest? Perhaps not. Radeya had told him that he was a Brahmin when he was not. But then that was the only way he could get the learning for which he yearned with all of his soul. The wise said that the, the end justifies the means. His aim was to acquire knowledge. For that, he had spoken an untruth. A lie is a sin if it is used to achieve something sinful. But he had not tried to commit any sin. His lie would certainly be forgiven. Thoughts like these chased each other in his troubled mind. Some time passed. Suddenly, Radea felt something stinging him in the thigh. The pain was unbearable. Without disturbing his guru, he bent down to see what was hurting him. He saw that it was an insect. It was dreadful to look at. It looked like a little pig. It was very. It was a very small image of a pig, but it had a really sharp snout. 
The snout seemed to be made of steel. It felt so hard. And this snout was embellishing, was embellished with several rows, rows of teeth. It felt as though a steel saw was filing its way into his flesh. Radea could not remove it. It was steadily plowing into his flesh. The pain was intolerable, but what could he do? His guru was sleeping, resting his head in his lap, and it was not right to disturb his sleep. Racked by this terrible pain, patient Radea sat unmoved. Now, one of the other distinguishing characteristics of a kshatriya is that they can they can withstand pain, any pain. Give me one second here. Yeah, my son is doing great, by the way. He had an operation. Thank you for asking. Um, and it went good, and now he's almost completely healed. But thank you for asking that. So here he is with his guru in his, in his lap, and this, this insect is burrowing through his thigh. That insect, after digging through his flesh, now quite pierced through his thigh. Blood streamed forth. The touch of the warm blood on his face aroused Bhargava from his sleep. He stared at Radeya and said, There is blood on my face. Where did this come from? Radeya said, From my thigh, my lord. While you were sleeping, an insect came and stung me in my thigh. It has been causing me pain for some time now. Blood has started floating from the wound. The Rishi looked at the insect, drunk with the blood of Radea. His amazement was great. He said, you say that this insect stung you? You say that it was painful? How is it that you did not get up at once and try to stop this pain? My Lord, said Radea, you were sleeping in my lap. You were tired. You were resting. I was more concerned about your sleep than about my pain. I did not want to disturb your sleep. Hence, I did not pay attention to any of pay attention to it. Bhargava could not believe his ears. He was puzzled. He said, I cannot understand it. How can you, a Brahmin, bear so much pain? It is well known that a Brahmins cannot bear any pain or even the sight of blood. Tell me the truth. You are not a Brahmin. You can never be a Brahmin. Only a Kshatriya can behave as you have done. Have I, after all these years, taught my ostrich to a sinful Kshatriya? I have, I, I have hated Kshatriyas. I will never forgive you for this. Forgive you for this, your deception. You are a Kshatriya. Admit it. Radeya fell at his feet. Tears streamed from his eyes. It broke his heart to think that all he had learned would become futile. He realized that it would be so. It was to be so. He held on firmly to the feet of his guru and cried, cried, Forgive me, my lord. You have been more than a father to me. A father should forgive the faults of his child. I am not a Brahmin, but then I am not a Kshatriya either. I am Radeya, the Sutaputra. My father is Atirata. A sutra is a sutta is born of a kshatriya and a brahman. Hence, I told you that I was a brahman. The only thing I wanted was learning. Learning, they say, cares not for caste or creed. In your nobleness, you must overlook this fault of mine. I told a lie to you, but it's only to become your pupil. I have been devoted to you. To me, you are deeper, dearer than anything else in this world. Please show mercy and forgive me. I beg of you, please forgive me. Bhargava was furious. He would not relent. Not all the tears and prayers of the poor, unfortunate Radeya could move him. He was firm. The Rishis, they say, 
have all their senses under control, but it is evident that anger is the one thing they have never been able to control. And this is true. All the, the Brahmanas are known to have a very quick temper. To think that such a great man as Bhargava, a man who had practiced austerities for years and years, should have lost his temper so easily is strange. He forgot the devotion of Radeya. He forgot his humility. He forgot the affection of his pupil. He, he was blind to the fact that it was his affection for him that made Radeya suffer the insect to sting him. He was himself so fond of Radeya. He forgot even that. The only only one thing stood out, that Radeya had spoken a lie. All the other facts were thrown right back into the background. Everything was out of focus. Bhargava used the one weapon that rishis are capable of using. He cursed Radeya. He said, you have learnt archery under false pretenses. When you desperately are in need of a, of a divine astra, your memory will fail you. You will not be able to remember it. Radeya fell at his feet, senseless. He roused himself a few moments later. With sobs racking his form, he implored, Why, why have you cursed me like this, my lord? I spoke a lie only because I wanted knowledge. You must not be so harsh, it, but it was of no use. The Brahmin's words had been spoken. They were irrevocable. So when a Brahmin cursed you, they couldn't take back the curse. They couldn't, sometimes they could alter it a little bit, but... They could never take it back. There was no way of recalling his words. Bhargava then addressed Radeya in a slightly mollified tone. I have spoken. Nothing can change it, but there is one fact about which I can assure you. You wanted fame? You will get it. You will be known in after times as the greatest archer that ever graced the planet Earth. The great Bhargava left him and went away. Radeya slowly raised his head. He saw that his guru had gone away. Wiping his tears with his forearm, he walked away, sunk in the depths of despair. He walked aimlessly for a while. He did not know where he was going. He reached the shores of the sea. He sat there and he knew not how long. The beating of the waves against the shore made him think of his own ineffectual attempts to fight against the world, which had set its face against him because he was a Sutaputra. The mournful dirge of the sea was like a balm to his wounded heart. He got up from there and walked away. When he was coming back, he saw an animal flash past him. More by instinct than anything else, he shot an arrow at the animal and it fell down dead. He went near and found, and found to his horror that it was not a deer, as he had imagined it to be, but a cow. And it belonged to another Brahmin. Radeya went to him and told him that he had shot the cow in ignorance. He tried to pacify him by the gift of many more cows and riches, but the Brahmin was very angry. He gave vent to his anger by cursing Radeya. He said, when you are fighting with your enemy, your heart's deadliest enemy, the wheel of your chariot will sink into the ground. And just as you killed my poor innocent cow when she was unaware of the danger that threatened her, you will also be killed by your opponent when you are least prepared for it. In a flash, Radeya knew that he was the chosen target of fate. His birth was shrouded in mystery because of the heartlessness of the woman who had given him birth. His boyhood and later his manhood was blighted by the stigma of Sutaputra that clung to his name. Still, he thought that he would find happiness in the world 
if only he became the pupil of Bhargava, the greatest of archers. This had just proved to be a mirage. His guru had cursed him and gone away. And now, on top of that, the curse of this Brahman, Brahman. Radeya had, had no more tears to shed. He realized there was nothing in this world worth, li worth living for, worth fighting for. There was only one person who loved him, and that was his mother, Radha. He was Radeya. He would remember that and only that. It was up to him to make the world resound with praises of Radeya, the Sutaputra. He wanted to make his mother happy. She had loved him when he needed love. She had dried his tears when he went to her in his childish troubles. She had wiped his brow when he was tired. She was his mother. It was the duty of a son to make her name immortal. That was the only purpose in his life now. Radea went home to his mother. She heard about that his education was now complete. He would not, he could not tell her now at once that it was all to no purpose since the curse had ruined it all. He did not want to break her heart. So he denied himself the comfort of her love and sympathy to tide over the difficult days, days fraught with pain and despair. He was with her for a few days. He then told her that he would go to the Kuru Palace in Hastinapura. He felt that learning would be a passport into the jealousy-guarded portals of the great palace. Now, there's a story here that's coming up after this about a great tournament where after the graduation of all of his students, Drona held this great tournament where, where all of his students would display all of their skills for all the people in the kingdom of Hastinapura. And uh, Karna is going to make an appearance there next time we, we, we get together. And that's this will be the first time that the the Pandavas and the Karvas even know of him because he he's he's completely unknown to them at this point. And and you know what's very what's very interesting about the whole story, of course, is the fact that he is actually the eldest brother of the Pandavas, and the Pandavas are the heirs of the throne of the country, and he being the eldest, he would actually end up being the king of Hastinapura, if you know if everybody knew who he actually was, but his mother's keeping it a secret and he doesn't know who he is yet. So the plot thickens. That's what's happening. I would I would normally go on, but this, this whole tournament thing uh is um I think really important. And I want I want to read the like the whole translation version of it, which is is really kind of really kind of cool. Uh, all, all these different warriors displaying all their skills and doing different things. And and then there's a basically a showdown between Arjuna and Karna. <laughs> no one dies. No one dies. Uh, not this early in the battle. So thank you all for being here. It's been a pleasure. I uh, hope you enjoyed the story. You're welcome to say goodbye if you want, to turn your video on if you want or anything. Uh, thank you for showing up tonight. Bye, Elaine. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> Have a great rest of your night. And I'll, I'll be posting this on um, on Spotify um, if you want to share it with a friend or anything like that. You guys have a great rest of your evening, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks.
Bye-bye. You're very welcome.